And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. We were seven days into shooting when Michelle was murdered. We were making The Garbage Man. It was my first film. I was making it with all my best friends in the world, and it was supposed to be the time of my life. But it's real hell. She was working as the night auditor at a hotel, the Charterhouse Inn. I was making a movie about a black serial killer. <laughs> Her murderer was 20-year-old Eric Daniels, black male from Champaign, Illinois. My father was staying at the hotel. He was the last person to talk to her alive. At the time of the making of the movie, in town, Champaign, Illinois, I was the infamous author of the Jeffrey Dahmer comics. I was on the news all the time. The making of the movie was all over the news. I was quite the bad guy, you know? So there we were, making this movie, and it came to life. It really happened. We sh shut down shooting for about a day, and then we had the funeral the next day, and I pretty much went crazy. My life at that time, personal life, was pretty violent. I had stalkers. I had death threats. There had been a protest march on my house that was on CNN over these Dahmer books. I had been sued. Uh, some people had broken into my home and robbed me while I was at a Fangoria horror convention in Los Angeles. So things were pretty rough when I wrote The Garbage Man. Things were pretty crazy. I don't even know how to, to begin to tell you what it was like in those days. I was 24 years old. Michelle was the love of my life. She really was the love of my life. And it was, it was mind-breaking, and it really, it really broke me. What the public doesn't know is, leading up to the film, my girlfriend, uh, before Michelle, had been raped by one of my co-workers at Maples. At the time, I was a bouncer, and he was a bouncer, and he raped my girlfriend one night when they were partying. While I was writing the script for Garbage Man, another girlfriend of mine, well, ex-girlfriend, and we were still friends, she, she was kidnapped by a stalker and brutalized and nearly killed. So those are really violent times for me. And when you watch this movie, when you watch The Garbage Man, I think it's really important to know it's not, it's not just a movie for me. I mean, this movie's filled with real pain. Material Podcast. I'm Tom Cornell. And I'm Langley West. Uh, we're here with episode 106 with a man who has been dubbed the scariest man in America. I... <laughs> and Heroes <laughs> Illustrated called you, sir, the most dangerous man in comics. Hart D. Fisher of Boneyard Press, infamous um, in many ways and, and famous in others, <laughs> and the creator of American Horrors, which is a, a awesome horror channel on yeah. available on roku and online and a bunch of other places heart welcome and now we've got two channels that's right tom there are two american horrors channels streaming 24 hours a day seven days a week <laughs> all day all night all horror completely uncut with no commercial interruptions of the film completely free to watch go to americanhorrors.com and you can watch the original american horrors channel from film on right now for free but listen to the radio show first 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hart and I have known each other since like the mid nineties. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Back in the comic book days, back in the, 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 the good days of San Diego comic con before it exploded into. Well, before it became, it's no longer comic con, it's Hollywood con. And that's what happened. They realized that the industry was collapsing and they purposely, most of the conventions around the country did this, where they squeezed out the comic book people, kept the comic book in the title, and then all of a sudden it's a, it's a pop culture con. And then the comic book people steadily got more and more squeezed out to the point where there's no point in going to San Diego Comic Con because no one, no one could even afford to buy your books. In a time when comic conventions, people go and they'll line up and get a $250 photograph of Jason Voorhees in costume in a Crystal Camp, uh, Crystal Lake setting. Th- that's pretty cool and all, but for you as a vendor, for you as a guy selling your wares, you just see all that money being eaten up. And, and I've talked to vendors around the country and they're they're hurting real bad because cons are not the same. The horror cons aren't the same. They've really changed, and they've become like these looky loo cosplay parties. And people aren't spending the money on the creators anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's what when I I mean I didn't start paying attention to conventions until way late in the game, and it and it puzzled me because I because not coming from not coming from that culture, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know what it was about, so I was like, okay, Comic-Con, it's about comic books. Mm-hmm. And so I would expect to see yeah, um, yeah. independent, to you know, independent well, uh, comics producers selling their, you know, their books. And instead it was, uh, and, and and this is cool too, it's just not the same thing. Right? You know, instead it's Guillermo del Toro and, you yeah. know, Hall and it's, H. And it's neat to be able to see those guys. I've said for a long time that it's this weird situation where in order to get a con up and running you need seed money because most of most of the time it's done by fans or or semi-pro so you need seed money so they go to these small vendors and the small vendors buy their tables and they're expecting to sell their wares right um but then in order to get people to come they got to get thor to show up or they need to get the guy from walking dead to show up but he needs travel money and a per diem yeah he's not going to come for free I mean, hell, that's how it is for me now, Tom. You know, I've been doing con since, like, I think I did my very first Comic-Con or comic convention in, like, 1991 with my first book, Dark Angel, for Boneyard Press. And it's it's different. When I went, I went as a publisher. So now when I'm brought in as a guest, what I ask for is I'm like, look, you got to give me, you got to get me there, so travel expenses. you got to put me up somewhere to sleep, and it better not be your couch. Uh, I could use a per diem for food. Yeah. And well, then yeah, sometimes I, mean, I charge to be there, and sometimes I don't. It depends on the show, how big they are, what their budget is. But when I come, I don't charge for autographs. I hate that crap. So I'm not yeah. charging for well, any autographs, and I'll bring a film room. I always set up an American Horror screening room for free, screening all the original content we've got from the networks. Mm-hmm. Well, but my, but my point is, is that that the so you get people to come there because you've got Thor and Tom Hiddleston. But when they get there. People aren't rich, not in this Mm-mm. economy. And now they they need to decide what they're going to spend their money on. Right? Correct. So, do I buy the tchotchke that this small businessman is selling that he's handcrafted and is really beautiful, or do I get my picture taken with Thor? 
when I go back to the office and I'm standing around the water cooler, I can show them the tchotchke and they'll go, ooh. But when I show them a picture of me and Thor, well, and it has more more weight. And my point is, is so you spend your money on the, the picture of Thor and the small businessman, the people who got you there, right. get completely chumped. They don't make their table. They're out thousands. They're and hurting and they're traveling to get there. Not and only then they're they got to travel and pay. And then promoters are wondering, why, why is it so hard to get a con up and running? Well... And there's too many. There, frankly, there's too many half-assed conventions all over the country. It's not – once upon a time, when I first started doing shows, you had, like, Star Trek cons. Mm -hmm. You had uh, the comic conventions, like the big Chicago con. You had a Wizard World con. You had a Novi City Expo Center con. You had a couple different ones around the country. You had the New York guys, Greenberg. Uh, I really did this. Like, I did this for a living. I went to all these shows, and I made my money at these shows. And you saw the industry steadily collapse throughout the 1990s. It just kept – collapsing because uh, long story short there's distribution war and you could thank marvel for that mm -hmm. you could thank marvel comics for the single-handed collapse of the direct market but it's what they engineered and they wanted because they were pissed off that image was founded by some of their top guys they were pissed off about that so they wanted to destroy the direct market and they've done a pretty good job of that the direct market now is crap uh, i just did a, a heart attack episode with uh, james collins a 30-year veteran of owning comic shops to talk about the glut and the myth, the myths that are being perpetuated by these big industrial entertainment conglomerates that are trying to take over all these mom-and-pop outlets. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but this is back in the day when, you know, you could just, that's what we did, and, and I'm sure it's what Oh, yeah, that's did. how we met. You, you <laughs> just decide, I could do this. You know, the, the technology was there kind of back when you're well, lugging around big PsyQuest cartridges of your, mm -hmm. of your books and stuff. I, I, I still just... have my books on PsyQuest, thank you. <laughs> I still have... Um, and zip drives. Yeah, I still have film from T-shirts and stuff. Just all... I'm sure <laughs> yep, you do too. Me too, from, from Boneyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it was kind of like it was kind of like punk rock, right? It's Very. Like, you know, it's like, look, this these... Guys. Let me put it to you this way. When I started doing comic books right. back with dinosaurs roamed, <laughs> I used to take an X-Acto blade, which is a sharp knife, and I used to have to cut the lettering out and paste it on with this thing called glue. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah that's I first... how I started before the computers until I got my first Amiga, and then I was able to start doing more graphics <laughs> on the computer. Max. It's funny. I, I uh, the first time I went to to college was for um, it was a program they called commercial graphics. Now it's graphic design. Sure. But at the right. time, it was commercial graphics, and I think about you know the stuff that we were doing and how like if like Zipatone, none, none of it applies <laughs> exactly. Yeah, none of it, none of it applies. Like the skills I learned. Have no bearing in this world yeah, whatsoever, yeah, 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 yeah. other than uh, other than but composition. Here is the flip or, side: you know. is and I and I, our stories are kind of similar, where it's like I come from like zero. <laughs> I was just the dude who was like fucking around working at Tower, and it was like you talk a lot. You should write it right. down. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you are an opinionated employee. Write it down so yeah. I don't have to hear it. Yeah, it right, reminds right. me of of fucking running around making. Um, uh, uh, flyers for martial arts seminars yeah 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 and yeah. you're yeah. like you know yeah you're you are exactly you're cutting out shit with exacto knives oh here's an awesome so photo of dan and Santo. i'm gonna cut it out dude and paste it. I, I, you, make, you guys are making me all nostalgic i can remember this is a great story i, I can remember promoting carpenter 
at a fair in San Francisco. And we were like, <laughs> we were like, yeah, this will be great. It'll be art and cheese. And it'll be, you know, really, it'll be oh, awesome. No. So we, I've got a five-year-old and a nine-year-old with me. And my daughter is oh. dressed in the dress from the front cover of the first issue. Right. And we walk into the Folsom Street <laughs> Leather Fair. Oh. And we're like, oh, my God. My daughter, my son is mortified. He's nine, and he's just like, "There's men walking around in, in athletics and orders, yeah, yeah." And, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> and Justin, he's he's petrified. My daughter, who's five, Daddy, who, what's who, up with the assless chaps? Uh, easy access, son. No, no, easy no. access. Uh, so my daughter is. It's her day at the fair, right? She's right. wandering around, going, "Hello," oh, handing out cards to people. She's like, "Ta-da!" Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. a codpiece height. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so at one point we go, okay, we got to go. So, um, on we our way out of the Castro now, <laughs> we're on our way out. Uh, there are two women on the side of the road. One is sort of feet back and spread them kind of like a, like being arrested. And the other one is flogging them in on the back. <laughs> and, and we're hustling Justin in one direction. God, I want to hear that conversation. And Connor disappears. So I turn around and I see Connor walking up to the flogger pulling on her jacket and saying to her, was she bad? <laughs> and the girl on the wall turns around and, and like starts nodding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm fucking up my kid. Dragging him away. Those are the good old days. <laughs> Out of the back of your car, humping your shit up in elevators, right? Hart, what was, what was your background, background prior to... Uh... To doing comics like why did you even go there i was a kid who grew up on the south side of chicago and when you grow up in the neighborhood that i grew up in there's a lot to me it was all normal till i got to college i thought i was middle class till i got to college right mm. and then it was a complete and total culture shock because mugging suicides drug addictions uh you know beatings uh part of my interest in martial arts because i never fought with somebody one-on-one -on -one. so when i saw good guys wear black and chuck norris is beating up like four or five guys at once i'm like yes because i had experience with being jumped you right. know by four or five guys at once by having guys taking turns beating the crap out of you uh so i grew up in a really rough area of chicago and one way that i dealt with it was I was a good student. I was a, a straight-A student, and I drew comic books since I was five years old. My uh, buddies, Patty and Joey, they got me hooked on Archie, Richie Rich, Little Lulu, and I loved comics. My friends loved comic books, and we all started drawing our own comics. And I was lucky. My mother worked for the Department of Public Aid in Chicago. So she had access to unlimited Xerox copies. So I wrote and drew my own comics and sold them in school since, like, grade school cool it started with like me and my friends super steve and super heart and then it went into humor and then eventually i was drawing uh my flag tip ship title for dark angel or boneyard press was dark angel it was half dark angel which is a anti-hero serial killer comic years like actually literally a decade ahead of dexter hmm. and i have no doubt that we influenced dexter because ours is the very first comic book about a serial killer from his point of view and he's killing babies in the first issue and the other half was a half-man, half-bull alcoholic thug for hire on the streets of Chicago called Bill the Bull. Right. And both were characters that I drew in high school from starting in freshman year and would sell these books to everybody in school. So I've had a lifelong 
interest in comics, they were a, a shelter for me, like reading, uh, to get away from a lot of the violence and madness I saw all around me. And uh, I, I also really got involved in films. I grew up about three blocks from a grindhouse movie theater that if you've ever seen uh, The Right with Anthony Hopkins, in the very beginning of the film, in the opening credits, they have a, a shot of that uh, movie theater. It's closed now, but they had a shot of it. And they also uh, had a scene where the, the new exorcist character works in a funeral home. And the funeral home in the film, that's, I lived down the street from that. I used to wait in front of that house for the bus every day wow. I, I, to go I, to school. I bet one of the big things, for, uh, it's cool that you're from Illinois. I'm also from Illinois. Most of my life was in southern Illinois, way down by Kentucky. But for a while, we lived up mm, in the country, uh, not not far from Joliet. That's the closest town I could think of that anybody would have mm-hmm. heard of. And uh, and I used to I used to get Chicago papers, and right? I would, and I would look at the the theater mm-hmm. uh, listings, and I'd just be I'd just, just be dreamed. drooling, man. I'd yeah. be like, "Fuck, man! They're showing like five fingers uh, of race with death the devil." And, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, I'd just be the, like, where are these? You know, like, why can't it was this... two movies for a buck fifty, dude? Oh, yeah, dude. and they didn't care how old you were. So starting right. from the age of like eleven, and since it was only a, my mom didn't know how bad the neighborhood was we lived in. <laughs> right on. And so I was a free range child. That's what I call kids from our generation. Absolutely. We were free range children. We've there were no nannies. That. I don't even understand why the hell you would get your kid a smartphone so they could start the spying process on your child earlier. Because now, uh, good old Obama, thank you, Obama, just signed so that all of our information illegally collected by the NSA is now freely available with no warrants to the FBI, the CIA, and 16 other government agencies are going to have unfettered access to our information that the NSA is recording from every single phone call, every single record. Our recording right now over, over Skype is being logged and counted. Every single email, fax, all of it is now available without a warrant to 16 different government agencies with no oversight. Thank you, Obama. I'm more concerned about my aunt seeing my porn on my phone. <laughs> Dude, I when I worked in adult films, my mom, uh, I, first I started off working at an advertising agency, and I, I brought my mom into everything I did, and she, she was in the advertising agency one time on vacation helping me type up ad copy. Nice. <laughs> For oh, gangbang titles. You know, yeah. helping out, Mom. Mom, she, what you can see her this? <laughs> if you go. There's an old copy of Wizard magazine, the, Wizard: The Guide to Comics, yeah. and they did an interview with me. And my mom's pictured in there wearing the Marvel can suck my cock shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get to that. I want to get to that. Is Wizard still around? I don't. They're know. gone. They're, yeah. they're all yeah. gone. All of the comics magazines are gone. And in fact, they're expecting a real implosion because the sales figures just aren't there. I left comic books. Like, I loved comics. I did them to death throughout the 90s, and I left comics because the industry was destroyed, and I had an opportunity to work in adult film production full-time, which was kind of like a mini-movie school to a certain degree, and no one's paying attention. Sure, you know right. what I mean? Right. So you could get away with a lot. You could push the envelope quite a bit. And so I went into that full-time in 2004, and then in 2008, I got the contract, the very first TV contract. You're going to love this, uh, Tom. It was a bunch of black Christian ladies starting a bunch of Christian channels for satellites in Europe, and they wanted me to do um, the American Horrors block on Friday nights, and they asked me to host. It was <laughs> that, their idea. I couldn't cool. believe it. Sweet. 
Yeah, and that was 2008. We got the deal. We signed the contract, but then the economy collapsed in 2009, so I had a finished season of the American Horrors TV show. And then in 2011, I was recruited by billionaire Alki David to create and launch the American Horrors Network at Film On. He wanted a wild, firebrand horror guy that could draw eyeballs and create a good product. So he literally recruited me to launch American Horrors with Film On. Well, you know, I think what killed a lot of it is people like Marvel and Diamond getting just greedy. And Well, I mean, it's the same. No, it's, it's they literally did. If you don't know this, Marvel Comics specifically had a plan to drive the independent publishers out. That was their stated intention. And the first part of the plan was we're going to publish so many titles. They, at one point, I believe they put out 90 books a month. And the plan was... Uh, your average store, and this is so disrespectful to the store, the average store only has a limited amount of physical shelf space. Mm-hmm. So we will physically push the other products off the shelf because, of course, they're going to carry your Marvel product. So what happened is a lot of stores went on under holding the bag on all these terrible, terrible books that just didn't sell. And then Marvel got the brilliant idea, we're going to buy... Heroes World, the third largest distributor. We're going to pull all Marvel product from all stores. We're going to create the Marvel Marts. And so every store freaked out and had a conniption. Yeah. The, they bought Heroes World, and there used to be 12 or 15 different comic distributors for the independent market. And so what happened is Marvel bought the third largest distributor, said only you can only get Marvel through these books. They were an East Coast distributor. It was a nightmare. Uh, all kinds of problems. It created a distribution war, and yeah, it wrecked the industry. Now there's only one distributor left, which is Diamond Distribution, and every time a distributor went out of business, the other one didn't pick up the slack. Like, mm-hmm. like different businesses would sign an exclusive deal. Like, let's say Chaos Comics would sign exclusively with Diamond Distribution, and I was having my meetings behind the scenes with all the other business leaders and saying, guys, we can't do this because whenever you sign an exclusive deal... The definition of the word exclusive is to exclude, meaning you're going to exclude customers from buying your product. It's one of the reasons that American Horrors is free to watch. Mm-hmm. It's free to watch online. If you don't have a Roku, you could watch the new American Horrors channel on the grindhousechannel.com. And it's on there for free so that anybody can have access. So I have higher ratings. I get better advertising rates. And so these idiots all sign these exclusive deals with different distributors. And it destroyed the entire market, and that's one of the reasons I left. It got to the point where your books are selling 100 copies, and now stores are, are all gone, and there's, there's no shelf space. They stopped putting your independent book on the shelf. You stopped seeing that. So over the years as I've gone into stores, I'm like, hey, guys, where's your independent section? Oh, Image is over there. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, not yeah. See, independent. That reminds me that it, it really, really, really reminds me of – uh, uh, you know, quote-unquote independent cinema. You mm-hmm. know, go through these cycles yeah. where the, you, you get this, you know, truly independent maverick who does something badass. Mm-hmm. Everybody pays attention to it. Well, now well, the studios are like, oh, oh. And then they start making their, you know, they create some sub, you know, um, sure. division right. that, that makes... You know, oh, I'm it, seeing it, it right now quotes. with American Horrors. Dude, right. it's happening with American Horrors. I'm seeing major corporations rip off our style, mm-hmm. rip off what we're doing, rip off ideas. Like American Horror Story, I'm the guy they ripped that off of. Hmm. It was me. They ripped that whole thing off of. Gee, it's kind of funny. They filed their copyright within about two months of me submitting the American Horrors TV show to them at NAPTI. 
Wow. Gosh, oh golly, oh gee. I hear that. And all that fetish stuff, I directed a lot of fetish films. I was doing an erotic fetish series called Flowers in the Razor Wire. Oh gee whiz, guys. (laughs) Everybody wonder why American Horror Story changed their format from the first season to the second season? Because I can tell you it's because of me. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's it's there's a renown. We talked a lot about about how filmmaking in general, quote unquote Hollywood, um, they're just they're always they're forever chasing the train, and uh, because yeah. there's there's not the creativity there to <laughs> to drive it. Um, so all they can do is is ape other shit. It's why you see three comet movies or three asteroid movies or three. You know what I mean? Right, they all kind of happen at the same time. Yeah, well, well, the thing that happened with us with Diamond was is that at the time we were doing the magazine, they went through Comic Con and were recruiting quote unquote small press publishers because small press was big. Right, mm-hmm. and um, so you sign on with someone like Diamond, and and they want product, they want you know ship ten thousand here, ship ten thousand there, and um, uh, uh. One or two months, three months in, suddenly you're getting heat from them about how your numbers aren't what we expected, and the next thing you know, hey, we need a minimum of like five five thousand units per per listing in their book. Sure. And and I'm like, but but by definition, if you're if I'm moving five thousand to one distributor, by definition, I'm that's not really small good. Press. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm not small press, and not, you're not yeah. small press. That's what I. Tom, I get so furious when people label Boneyard small press. Hey, assholes, uh, I printed 16,000 copies of the first issue of Babylon Crush. Mm-hmm. We regularly sold 11,000, 15,000, 13,000. On a regular basis, we were a serious publisher that was taken seriously, mm-hmm. and we advertised in Diamond on a regular basis. Part of how I was able to produce the shocking content I was able to produce was because I was a good businessman on the other side of the table. I was reasonable, and I knew that the distributor would give me more credence if I advertised. I found that out, too, working with Danzig. When I ran Danzig's comic book company, I found at his level, with his money and his stardom, the rules didn't apply to him. Mm -hmm. They just didn't. And that was like, wow, a mind-opening experience. So I got to see the industry from several different levels of publishing. Yeah, so much of it for us was just trying to get advertising. Never mind the creation of the content. It was just about yeah. getting enough money to, to be able to print it and then, then to get your ass to someplace like Comic-Con and then right. you stand there for four days with your heart on your sleeve, you know, trying to get someone to notice your book. And, sure. And, and you're wiped out at the end. People don't understand when you're yeah. like a convention if you're really on, it's like a performance. Mm-hmm. So when I get home, I've got two days I need to recover just from the show. I, I don't. I I would I would love to ask somebody like Nick, like Nick Gucker, mm-hmm. like how do you do it, man? Because Nick is like, a guy. He's an artist that is travels a lot. He travels a lot. I mean, I he, see him he in lives every... at conventions. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, I used to do that. Yeah. Man, that's hard, like, man. That's got to be hard. That's got to yeah. be tough, yeah. right? It was it was very hard, but at the time that I did it, I was a driven man. I was running from some personal demons, and it I was doing too much. That was the problem for me in the nineties. I had I was deeply involved in three different murder trials of the guy who killed my girlfriend, and it kept coming up like it never ended. So privately, I'm being pilloried and flogged for being an evil human being Mm -hmm. for writing horror that actually scares people imagine that oh no he wrote a story that's scary what a scumbag uh 
and then right. the, in my private life, I'm dealing with rape. I'm dealing with murder. I'm dealing with my house have, being robbed, death threats, all kinds of crazy violence in my personal life. So for myself, I was driven. Those shows were a chance for me to plug into the fans because I received quite a bit of derogatory press, mostly derogatory, and I became a, a kicking stone. It became a, a safe target. Like these social media vampires look for the latest hipster thing for them to complain about or, or attack en masse. And I became that safe target. Mm-hmm. So the conventions were a chance for me to skip that bullshit and plug right into the fans and get into the joy of why I'm doing comics. I love doing them. I loved meeting the fans because if you're just drawing a comic or making a movie for yourself, that's called masturbation. Mm-hmm. And when you get an audience, now you're fucking. And that's where it's at for me. <laughs> well, you know, that was the thing I always loved is that, like, you were never, you you're, you're just didn't, it always felt like you just, like, you, there was thought behind it, but you didn't give a shit about the response. And even when you, I'll be honest with you, even when you kind of, um, uh, no, I want to use the word offended me, but it was like, I was like, oh my God. And, and that was A Taste of Cherry. The first time I read A Taste of Cherry, mm-hmm. I thought, Holy shit, I'm so conflicted over this. I'm a young <laughs> well, yeah, father. Well, but that's exactly what I realized that even though even if I hated it, I it, it, it deserved to exist and it deserved and, uh uh it broke it brokered a conversation, a deeper conversation about art that I really appreciated. Yeah. And back back then I could not I could not reveal too much of myself about where some of these things came from because I was dealing with the, the murder trial. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with the huge negative press. Uh, Evil Speak Magazine, Evil Speak Magazine number five, which is on sale right now, Evil Speak. Yeah, that's, did in a, that's Leon ahead. Marcello's gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Leon, Shout out to Leon. He's yeah, awesome. Leon's a good... Leon really did me a solid, man. No one ever gave me the opportunity to discuss why I wrote the ending to A Taste of Cherry that I did. Mm. They all just piled on and said I was a scumbag. How dare I write something like that? I think somebody said my testicles should rot off for writing something so horrible. And Peter David, a major writer at Marvel, flogged me big time and flogged Danzig big time. And what they never did is never gave me an opportunity to say, hey, uh, perhaps the reason the ending was the way it was, because in my life experience... Out of three of my women that were raped and assaulted and battered and one murdered, only one woman had her victimizer go to prison. Mm. The other two went completely free. Yeah. Okay? And they were ugly stories that I don't talk about publicly. And it was a horrible situation to be in. You know, I've been the guy who, my girlfriend's still at that guy's place. All right, put your clothes on. I'm going to get Al. Let's go find this motherfucker. Let's go. Yeah, and yeah, I'm going to yeah. bring Al to make sure I don't kill this guy because Al was a big 300-pound dude that I bounced with at this bar, and this other guy that we worked with had raped one of my girlfriends uh, while they, they, they'd they gone out partying. Hmm. And uh, while she had passed out, she woke up to this guy raping her. And that's, that's one of the... One so that's the, where my stuff comes from. Well, it comes right. from a real place, and that's why my stories mess people up. That's right. why, because I have an ability to touch the nerve because it's a nerve that's been burned off of me. You that's, get it? Yes. That's one of the things that's great about art in general, whether you're, 
whether you're writing stories, whether you're making movies, whether you're painting, whatever, you know, whatever your out, uh, artistic outlet is, is that it gives us that opportunity to exercise these demons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, hopefully, hopefully other people, you know, there's other people out there that maybe didn't have the same experience, but at least can uh, identify. Well, if, you know, it's, it's like back um, when you wrote uh, Book of the Dead or Poems for the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, when I when I read it and reviewed it, it was to me it was such a raw expression. It was talking about tapping into a vein of pure grief and sorrow. And I was a guy in the middle of mortuary school and working in funerals and stuff. And it like mm-hmm. so it was one of those things that so resonated that that sure. that, that, that horrific your job was empty grief. emptiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and, and heart you uh, completely captured it in these two volumes where mm-hmm. where even when the 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 prose was. The prose was usually tight, but sometimes when when everyone everyone has a stumble, it the pad the the direct line to this raw emotion pulled was, you through that, was and pure. it was one of those things where it was like that was that very thing is the part of makes a part of the whole. Does that make right. sense? Right? Yeah. No, it, um, it totally does. It, and it, that's why I said what I said about the book. I I. I th- I always it's it, I list it up there when people talk about books about grief. There's a book called In the Midst of Winter that is a sort of a collection, but I, usually poems for uh, for the dead comes right alongside of that. Like here's some books on grief that you need to look at. So yeah, yeah absolutely, and it's cool. It uh, it helped me. I was losing. I lost my mind. I was I was functioning insane throughout the '90s. I really was. And art, art, comics, and martial arts, booze and broads saved mm-hmm. my life. I yeah. mean, literally, I threw myself into my work and just created and created and created and I was a guy doing all the graphics I was a guy hustling the books at the show I wrote half the product I was handling all the printing and publishing there wasn't anybody else helping me mm-hmm. uh, just yeah, a little so, bit here and there with some different familiar. people in my life and girlfriends that yeah. would proofread some stuff so I, I had plenty of spelling errors and shit yeah no no no, uh, no. I, I don't mean to fault you for that but the idea no, no. The, the, but I get it uh, it, it was so, it was so direct. It was so unfiltered that that even at the times when you kind of like I'd like a little dilution here. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. It, it you didn't because that was that would that would be beside the point. The point right. is is the the white hot heat of of it. Well, and uh, that's how it came out. I yeah. mean, I I got a speeding ticket writing one of those poems because I learned to write in the dark. I would be on these uh, driving jags across the country to get the different comic conventions, and I learned to write in the dark. And uh, one time I was writing a poem down in the middle of a, I, I just call it a seizure, and I'm writing it, driving it, and I was going too fast. I got a speeding ticket. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't want to belabor your 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 story um uh, but yeah and you've kind of alluded to a lot of it already the uh uh but i can't imagine dude having done grief counseling and having been an intimate to a lot of situations shitty situations yours has always broken my heart because it's 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 volume is something that um you think like all right man <laughs> Here's a guy, he gets it, <laughs> you know? Well, I had already had, and, and I'm okay to talk about this, Tom. I, I am totally fine to discuss this now. I put a moratorium on this in the 90s because I couldn't give these people in the press any more of my pain to bash me with. 
Right. They had already screwed me over so bad in the mass media, been so lied about, and the truth about my work has been so distorted and manufactured. And so I think it's hilarious that the, all, all this fake news, all this talk about fake news, and I was a victim of fake news. And who victimized me? CNN victimized me mm-hmm. in the early 90s. CNN took the questions. Like, they came, they had a smart film crew. I thought they were going to be awesome. It was for the Murder by Numbers documentary. I thought, wow, finally a group that gets it. No, they butchered it. It was the worst coverage of me. And, in fact, they were so dishonest, they took the answer to one question as if it was the answer and edited it as if it was the answer to a different question, creating a different impression on the viewer, which is evil it's wrong that's not news Mm -hmm. and so when they talk about fake news and i'm like the new york times has repeatedly had people on government payroll writing fake stories to lead us up to the iraq war and i i read and i read the news so uh it influences my work and it influences what i do and the thing with with her i broke dude i broke when she was murdered in the middle of making my film the garbage man which was about a black serial killer killing white women because he was obsessed with his, uh, his, his hooker mother who beat him as a child. And so this happened in the middle of the Dahmer controversy, in the middle of me making this film. And, dude, I, I snapped. I snapped. I just was gone. And that's what Poems for the Dead is. It is a white-hot poker from a broken mind trying to put itself back together, trying to crawl up out of a grave while everybody's kicking you in the teeth and trying to bury you, mm-hmm. you know? And then there's the people in my own personal life that were sabotaging me and ripping me off and stealing from me. I've had a long career of being plagiarized and ripped off. It kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. Without hanging someone out of a window, I can't imagine. Oh, dude, when I heard my poetry rewritten into the My Chemical Romance lyrics, I flipped out. I had to pull over to the side of the road and just beat the crap out of my dashboard on the 101. Wow. No, it was the 180. It was the, yeah, it was the 101 when I heard it. Pulled over to the side of the road screaming. And then I found out, oh, yeah, this lead singer was my kid. He, he worked for me. He knew me when I was crazy. I got this asshole on Sally Jesse Raphael, and this is how he repays me, yeah. plagiarizing my work and making money and not even a thank you in the record? Asshole. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is Gerard Way. Yeah, good old Gary Way. <laughs> he can call himself whatever the hell he wants, but I knew him as Gary. And when I talked to his mother about him being bullied in school and how what can we do to help him, uh, it was Gary. That's what kind of a piece of crap he is. Um, um, uh, what do I want to talk? I want briefly. I want to talk about the Marvel can suck my cock shirt. Sure. Uh, I saw them on the floor before I knew who was responsible, and I had known you about a year. And I thought, I think I know where this came from. And that was a direct statement to Marvel's business policies because their business policies were designed to drive guys like me out of business. And I was like, no way, man. You can suck my cock. Yeah, I just remember just <laughs> security running around with red, like, vent tape. Right. Covering the word cock. Covering on the word cock. 
And I, yeah. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Wizard Marvel World in Chicago. Money. I had all kinds of trouble from the convention people trying to ban me from selling these shirts, okay? When it debuted in San Diego at the Comic-Con, I think it was 95 or 96, uh, I sold all the shirts in one day. I printed up 100 shirts, and they were gone in a day. Yeah. I sold the shirt off my back twice. Uh, the chick from Dark Horse, I can't remember her name right now, came over and bought like six shirts, and one of them was for Frank Miller. And the dudes from Image came over and bought some shirts. And you know what I mean? Everybody had them. And one guy from Marvel, he paid me to go throw five shirts into the line at Marvel, but that's a whole other story I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> uh, which leads us, I guess, to... Um, I want to talk about your movies. Okay. Uh, Garbage Man. Um was a as you say a film about a black serial killer uh and again more of that D, kind of a diy look to it very raw very almost documentary style very almost kind of um portrait of a serial killer for uh for lack of a, a better description real yeah. yeah actually a distributor that i had sent this film into as a submission for them to distribute he called me up and he thought it was a documentary on a real killer. Yeah, it feels and, like it. It's sort of that cinema verite without it being... I'll, I'll admit it. You nailed it with Serial Killer. Uh, you nailed it with Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. When that came out, I was at the University of Illinois and it had a midnight screening at the Music Box in downtown Chicago. So I drove like three hours to go see the midnight show of that, then drove back home by myself. And I was blown away by that film. That film really blew me away. And so that movie was shot on 16-millimeter film. So when we shot The Garbage Man, we shot it on 16-millimeter film. Mm -hmm. And The Garbage Man's house was my house. The car he was driving was my car. Uh, the creepy old man next door was my dad. Uh, we utilized the small-town atmosphere of Champaign, Illinois. Though Everybody helped us so much. We got so much love and help from everybody, all the businesses, we really had a, a fantastic experience until. Can I? I don't mean to interrupt, but can <laughs> I just? Can I just say how cool is Champagne Urbana? It's pretty cool. It's I was a bouncer cool. at Mabel's, yeah. which was a club there, and so since I bounced there, we were able to shoot in the club. The owners they didn't charge me. No. They let us shoot in there two nights in a row, and and it was great. And so so many people were so cool. I still have so many good friends down in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Tom and Eric and Dave and all the guys down there from Third Stone, they're they're all good good people that really helped me get through uh, Michelle's murder and and the last couple of years of me being in Champaign. They really kept me on the feet. Not the college students. Fuck the college students. Fuck those cocksucking asshole motherfuckers. It was the metalheads. The metalheads and the townies supported me. We did a fundraiser because there was this free speech issue. I'm anti-serial killer i think they're scumbags they're douchebags there's nothing about them that's exciting or that interesting to me it's like you study a tiger to make sure you don't get bit right so uh i condemn dahmer in the pages of the dahmer book and then the media comes after me and says that i'm celebrating him when it's actually them i mm -hmm. wanted to i wanted to ask you about that um the dahmer book um you cut a lot of shit for it mm -hmm. what was what was their? What was the media's take? Like, well, like, the thing you like, have I to don't understand, understand why they they gave you shit for it. 
the thing you have to understand about the media is you got to take your you got to take your feet out of it as a consumer of it and start looking at it for the mechanics that it is. Okay, and in the business of news, there was a change in news. Originally, television got their license from the public to be on the air, and the news was a public service that wasn't meant to be profitable. Right. And then in the eighties, they started to deregulate that, and now all of a sudden, news had to be profitable. And so now we have this sensational news that we have today. Instead of it being an informational process to help the public as a public service, it is now another wing of making money. So once you do that, to put it in modern terms, it's all clickbait. Mm -hmm. Once you turn it into that, they'll say anything they have to to get you to watch. When I was on Sally Jesse, no, it was uh, the Pertice Berry show. No, no, wait, it was uh, a different chick, Faith Daniels, that's who it was. And she's holding up the Dahmer book, right? And she's got the most gory page in the whole book open for the camera. And her speech is, I can't show you everything in this comic book, but I can show you this. Portraying it as something that it's not. And so for them, it also became, I never said I'm sorry. I never backed off i didn't do anything wrong there was nothing to apologize for so as they attacked me i grew up on chicago i grew up in chicago motherfucker come and get it come and get it you want me to run i don't run that's why it's called boneyard press because my back is to the grave motherfucker and i'm coming out of the grave or you're coming back in it with me and they don't understand that attitude right so they tried to punish me and destroy me and they didn't understand the more you pushed me i'm a hurricane i'm a tornado And then when all the violence was going on, I only got angrier and angrier. And me and my friends sat down and we're like, how do we combat this? So we looked at it like a a mental fist fight and we prepared. We'd go over the the shows and go, oh, man, they brutalized me. Oh, you really blew it there, Hart. Oh, you shouldn't have said that, man. Dude, what's with the suit? You look so slick, Rick. This is terrible. And so we broke me down and we, we went in there to do battle. And that's what we did. And now... People see these talk shows now, and they're like, what the hell is their problem? But it really became about, I would never say sorry, ever. I refused. So I wouldn't play their game. And then the only time it got shut down is when I destroyed Sally Jesse on the air within a minute and a half of being on the air. I was supposed to be on Phil Donahue. And I destroyed Sally Jesse so good, so bad, within one minute and 30 seconds of being on the air, because I threw it right back at her. I, I've actually got the clip on YouTube that you could see. Uh, YouTube.com backslash crime pays heart is my channel that has a lot of these clips. Mm-hmm. And she's coming at me for uh, how dare you hurt these people's feelings? How dare you destroy them emotionally for a quick buck? And I look at her and I said, what are you doing right now? Right. You're hurting these people right now. You're causing them to cry on the air Right now, you're causing them more pain so that you could sell more orange juice. Right. And she looked at me with her jaw open like a fish on a hook. And they edited all that out. Sure. Well, let's, let's talk for a second. I, I know, I was going to say I assume, but mm-hmm. actually I know that some of our listeners don't know this backstory. Sure, sure. I'm finding that out, too, as I'm interviewed. Like, to me, this is my life, and I'm starting to get that, oh, man, I answered that question. Here's here's the thing, Welcome to the public life, Hart. Here's the thing, though, Hart, (laughs) is that, and we talked about this last week, 
mm-hmm. is that as time goes on, these things that, you know, are part of our lives and, and we yeah. remember them, you know, younger people, they have no clue. They Dude, don't know. So you're right. You're what right. is, why were you on Sally, Jesse Raphael? Okay, the, the whole thing started, I did a comic book on Jeffrey Dahmer. I did a biography book. I was really unhappy with the portrayal of Jeffrey Dahmer in the media. Uh, he was in People Magazine's Top 25 Most Intriguing People of 1991. <laughs> I thought that was disgusting. I knew he was a convicted pedophile. Yeah. So your convicted pedophile who rapes and eats children is in your Top 25 Most Intriguing People? He's intriguing. <laughs> he's intriguing and he's sexy. Is that it, you scumbags? So uh, a friend of mine, Dan Matson, who is the publisher of North Star, which put out Faust. I never know. Yeah. Which is a yeah, yeah, comic yeah, yeah. That, that changed everything in yeah. horror comics. Tim Vigil. Fucking Tim a. and David Quinn. Those guys David rock. Quinn. Yeah. Uh, well, he called me up. He says, Hart, have you heard of this Dahmer guy? And I'm like, no, kind of. He's a serial killer. But by then, honestly, guys, I was bored with serial killers at that time. Sure. They were kind of one-dimensional. So I was very bored with that. And we had uh, so, a lot of them in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, once you start to really research them, both my parents have degrees in psychology, and I thought about majoring in abnormal psych, but I went with art instead and kind of took as many uh, classes in psych that I could. And having a lifetime of arguing with shrinks is not easy. <laughs> and dating strippers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, sure. I, I fucked there's, them, but I never really dated any strippers. There's a study in, in psych for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Good. Anyway, back to the Dahmer shit. So, so I do the Dahmer book, and in the book, I completely condemn Dahmer. I completely condemn page one, opening page, completely condemn the mass media's portrayal of him and their sickening flogging of him for their, their dollars. So that's part of the backlash. A reporter in Milwaukee, scumbag, bought the book at a comic book store and ambush interviewed the victim's families at their house. Wow. Wow. He goes to their front door with a camera on, jams the, the book in their face, and the next thing you know, they're freaking out. Well, sure. uh, who could blame them? And well, when absolutely. I wrote the book, I never thought the victim's families were ever going to see it. And I went to the library and I researched it at the library and I hired a newspaper illustrator so we could do a good job i wanted to do a good job and i purposely kept it from being too gory we purposely steered it away from the the nastier side of his crimes and tried to just stick with the facts of the matter at hand Mm -hmm. so this reporter did this now these people are pissed off and bantam and double day all have their books coming out now the movies are coming out so this Ambulance chasing lawyer Thomas Jacobson. He's literally a dude who had his ad on the bus. Have you followed at work? Call me. We'll sue someone. Mesothelioma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this dude, he got a bunch of the victims' families together and they filed a suit on me in Milwaukee. And it was based on a right to privacy law in Milwaukee. And I was a young, dumb kid right out of college. I didn't have any money. I'd just gotten out of art school. I was a bouncer at a bar, and I was stupid enough to think, I'll represent myself. So (laughs) you represent yourself, you got a fool for a client. That's absolutely right. I went up there, and this judge, he read me the riot act. He read me the riot act. He made me pay the victim's families $1,500, and then he gave me, I believe it was two weeks to find a lawyer and come back into the court. So during that two weeks, 
everybody wanted five grand, ten thousand dollar retainer. This right. is nineteen ninety one, guys. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand dollar retainer, and this is the list of lawyers we got from the ACLU. And it came down to the wire, and on the very uh, last, you know, on, on the Thursday, we had to be in court on Monday. On that Thursday, I got to the last lawyer. My mom said, son, I'm going to help you, and thank you. Thank you, mom. Mom, mom ponied up $5,000, wow. wired Holy it to this shit. guy, so we got his $5,000 on the Friday. This motherfucker didn't show up to court on Monday. Oh, dude, he doesn't I- show up. I hate fucking lawyers, dude. Mm, on the I, Friday when I'm talking to him, I'm like, do I need to be there? Do I need to drive up to Milwaukee? No, sir, I've got your retainer. I will handle this. I am your lawyer. Well, long story short, the judge rules against me. Sure. Okay, so now I lost. All right, now I lost the lawsuit, and they wanted all profits. They wanted to destroy all the books, blah, blah, blah. So my lawyer goes to his lawyer, and, and thanks to to thank God that he's a greedy ambulance chasing lawyer. He's like, what's, this is a mistake. Let's reopen this lawsuit. And he's like, sure. Seeing dollar signs. He went and got like another five families involved in the lawsuit now. So he goes out and recruits more thinking he's going to make more money. Not understanding that you can't get blood from a stone, dude. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering like, where do you point... think all this money's going to come from? The people didn't understand. They don't understand comics, dude. They, yeah, they don't just... get it that, out of a two ninety five book, I'm going to get a dollar ten a book. See, what, what, you what sell about, four thousand copies of the book. How much money is that? What about small press? Says whale to you. You know what I mean? What right. a whale is? Well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't just that, uh, Tom. What they were looking to do was they wanted to set a legal precedent with a smaller victim, so that they win their precedent with me. Then they can go after Bantam and Double Day on the movies. Right. But they picked the wrong motherfucker from the south side of Chicago. <laughs> and we fought him, and their, their suit was bullshit, and we beat him. And then the damn judge in the case, this cocksucker, he spent six months creating the legalese so that I could not get my fees back. Because when you have a frivolent lawsuit, mm-hmm. you, when you win, you get your legal fees back. Nope, the judge spent six months writing it up so that I couldn't get my legal fees back. And I'd already paid him $1,500 to the assholes. And then the media got involved, okay? <laughs> so, flash, so flash forward to now. Yep, 2016. And this was all in the early 90s to give the, the kids at home a little perspective. Right. This is like 91, 92, 93, 94, 95. If somebody wants to see this... Is it still out there? Is this it on the art? Yeah, it, it, that that. Well, it's a collectible uh, that, book. If you want to get a copy, like there's three different printings of it. So the first printing is the most valuable. There's only four thousand of them. Second printing, there's ten thousand printed, and then the third printing, I believe, was three or four thousand printed. So they're collector's items. If you go on Amazon and you start looking up comics from Hardy Fisher, my books go for twenty bucks, fifty bucks, ten bucks. Uh, the Dahmer book itself, uh, I have been selling my own personal collectibles as part of my emergency room sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we'll get to that later on in the yeah, show, yeah, yeah. but I have three copies of the Dahmer bio book that I am selling. People can get a hold of me on my Facebook page or on my Twitter uh, and ask me about it because I'm selling them. Okay, oh, cool. shit. We'll and I'm signing them, and I'm selling them for 125 bucks a book. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and they're like- in they're in good shape. And also, dude, my Kill Marvel book that I did. Oh my god, I had six <laughs> of them up for like fifteen bucks each. They sold out in like two hours. Yeah, you have a Kill Image book as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Kill Image book was fantastic. Um, before we move, I want to move on to the, the stuff you're doing now, and I want also want to talk about some of the things that you're uh, you're involved with, like the, the the GoFundMe thing. But I'd never heard of Forbidden Dimensions. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that. That's uh, one of my favorite filmmakers at American Horrors is a gentleman named Chris J. Miller, and Chris is a super creative, imaginative director who writes, directs does his own stop-motion animation, uh, and I'm in a couple of his movies now. I'm in Forbidden Dimensions. I'm a, a bounty hunter. I get to beat up the heroes. Yay. Yeah. And then in another one of his movies that's coming out next year, Mortuary Massacre, I get to play uh, a mean cop, and I beat my suspect to death. Dude, question. Shoot. Do you got to cut your hair? Hell no. I'm undercover. I'm narco, baby. <laughs> Hell no. Right on. Um, I yeah, had some I, Hollywood guy ask me that once. We were having a conversation in a parking garage, uh, like a whole deep throat thing after a big meeting with a billionaire. And he's talking to me, and he's like, you know, it's Hollywood. You telling me, you know, every, everybody will sell anything out for to be in the movies, to do this in the movies, to get this done. You, you wouldn't cut off your hair? Of course you'd cut your hair off if they came up and wanted you to cut your hair off to be in this film. And I went, no. He's mm. like, what? And I'm like, No. That's part of why I've been able to survive is because you have to know when to say no. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, although some of us have had that taken out of our hands. <laughs> hey, well, what, did, what did you want to ask me about Forbidden Dimensions? Nothing it's a not. really cool uh, trip-out movie. I had just never never heard of it. I'd heard of everything else on your IMDb, but that was one of the things that I was kind of like, I don't remember even hearing about this. I'm listed as being Frankie the Enforcer in a movie that was never finished. Uh, a meth head guy who I didn't know was a meth dealer uh, financed the whole thing with what I think was drug money, and the whole thing fell apart, so it, it never got finished. Although it's, it's got a great scene of me getting, uh, I getting I'm, I'm a, an enforcer and a pimp, and I'm getting a hummer from uh, my two girls, uh, two penthouse pets, which was fantastic, except for looking up and seeing all the dude crew yeah. you know, giggling at you. Yeah. And then I get stabbed in the neck, and that's a, a real good kill scene. Uh, and I'm also in uh, – I'm in – I have a small cameo in Flowers in the Razor Wire Chance meeting. Yeah. Just a guy walking through in the background saying some, some funny line. And I've, I like acting, actually. I've, I've been enjoying it. It's a nice break from directing and producing. Well, they, uh, IMDb lists you as a, as a director. Yeah, I am. For, for, oh, you are? Okay. What? Well, I've directed uh, one no, feature no, 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 film. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It, it lists you as a director of Forbidden Dimensions. Oh, they got that wrong? IMDb is so fucked up, and my Wikipedia is completely fucked. I need somebody to help me with my Wikipedia because it's wrong. <laughs> well, the it's thing wrong, about, and the then thing... some jealous fuck puts some weird shit in the bottom. Like, okay, yeah. uh, little Gary Way, I got him on Sally Jesse Raphael, so uh, we... When I put up like my collectible pictures or cool pictures, I'm branding American Horrors, so I'm watermarking American Horrors and everything. It's branding. You put it in there so that like people go to look at this picture, and you're subliminally implanting your brand. And so some jackass put up that, 
I'm trying to make it look like Gary was in an American horrors production or some bullshit. I'm like, well, how could that even be on Wikipedia? You're not supposed oh, to have shit like stupid. that. That's it's just stupid. supposed to be fact, right? That's the problem with Wikipedia, right? Is that yeah. everybody can... It's user content generated. Yeah, ex- I have exactly. so much... There's no mention of uh, me acting in there. There's no mention of me being a guest at South by Southwest, which was a big deal for me. There's no mention of a lot of stuff that I've tried to get in there. But frankly, Wikipedia banned me for so, 10 years. Hart, we've been talking a lot about what's happened you know, in the past, bringing mm-hmm. you where you are at, at the present moment. Right now, is it all about American horrors? It is without a doubt all about American horrors. I, I tell people that this is my next crusade. I am doing American horrors for the next 20 or 30 years. And what my goal is, I am setting up, you know, people talk about Disney. And I think Disney's heard me over the years. Is part of why I believe they bought Marvel. People pay attention to what I have to say. You know, I've been in Hollywood a long time. I worked with a lot of big name people. I'm one of those guys in the background. You know what I mean? I haven't really gotten my due uh, for everything I've done, everything I've influenced, but it, it's going to happen. Uh, American Horrors is designed to be the Disney of horror. And what I mean by that is it's a full-service company, a horror company run by horror people for horror people, and my goal is to take over the market. That is my goal, to be a benevolent dictator of the horror industry. That is what I plan to do. And we have started that by launching the American Horrors channels. So I launched the American Horrors television channel through Alki David's FilmOn.com service, which is a lot like Hulu, but actually better than Hulu. They've got way more programming. It's all free. Uh, a lot of cool stuff on there. And i got to really thank Alki for giving me the opportunity to create the first American Horrors channels you know, at FilmOn. And so we launched in October 2nd of 2011. We've been, it's a 24-hour linear streaming channel. So you turn it on and it's on. And it's designed to be that horror channel I dreamed of when I was 13. So that if I came home from school and I wanted to draw my comic books, I would just turn this channel on and it would be on all day. No matter what I was doing. So it's kind of like, um... I'm trying to think of a, 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 a touchstone for listeners. There so really isn't so a touchstone. Kinda, so well, basically, let, let me break it down for okay. you because I've sold it a lot. The easiest way to think of American Horrors is, is it's a great place for you as a horror fan to go see the horror movie you've read about in Fangor, you've read about in Rue Morgue or Horror Hound, but you've never been able to find it. And right. so we'll have movies like Claudio Fragasso's The Night Killer with Portuguese subtitles that has never been released in America. Never. Never been released. Very cool. Uh, We work with film historians and horror experts around the world to track down rare, hard-to-find horror, and we focus on the VHS age of horror. So you turn on American Horrors, you're going to get a feature film or an uncut music video or a Grindhouse movie trailer or an old band commercial where you've got Joe Friday from Dragnet telling you that cigarettes are safe. Okay, so it's an outlaw horror culture. No politics, just some place for when you get home from work and you want to tune out and watch a messed up horror film. We've got it, and we've got horror for everybody. Well, do you remember creepy? Go ahead. Do you remember Channel Z? Was it Channel Z? Channel Z, yeah. I saw the documentary on Channel Z, but I never really got to watch it. When when I grew up as a kid in Chicago, we had on TV and Spectrum, and my dad would get it. I was going to say that that, that you probably weren't out in L.A. at the time of Channel uh -uh. Z. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get to Los Angeles till 94. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that you guys seem to be doing um, 
well, where like I see a lot of other online horror things like uh, Fangoria.com, and I know Dread Central is doing a, a, a some kind of Dread Central video thing. Because yeah. a lot of them just can't make, can't, it's not a sustainable model. Um, it is a sustainable model, and I know some behind-the-scenes information about why they failed, how they burned through $15 million, the infighting amongst the partners. Uh, I'd like to keep that off the air as a professional because sure. if you want to have a real career, here's the secret for your listeners at home. All these people who pop off on Facebook and Twitter, they pop off every little thing they find out in the industry. Well, guess what, guys? I've, got, I've seen all kinds of video footage of all kinds of stars from my days of being an editor and having a, a pr- post-production company where I had nine editors working for me, and we edited a ton of stuff. And you must hold your water. You must maintain the confidences of your business associates and the stars that you work with. If you cannot hold your water, if you cannot keep your goddamn mouth shut, then you're done. You're, you're done. You're never going to have a career in Hollywood. You have to be able to, to keep some things to yourself. And so I know some things. Like I, I'm aware of a writer who is taking Fangoria to small claims court right now. Mm. I'm not going to name him. But he'll come forward when he's ready to talk about this. So uh, the reason they've failed, one, corporations are not the best people to do a horror channel because the nature of horror is it deals with taboo subject matter and it gets under people's skin. That's the purpose of of horror. It's to, to make you a little uncomfortable. You go through your journey. And so some people... They have different thresholds. They have different points that bother them. So for a corporation, it's a very dicey thing for them to be involved in horror. And that's why Chiller sucks. It's mm. terrible. And that's why Fearnet couldn't get it. You've got a committee. And we know that the best horror never comes from a committee. When you even think about horror hosts, that like there was, there was the one guiding mind for one of a better word that was leading you through all of the horror that you well, were yeah. seeing and there was a philosophy the wait- there i am the waiter let me serve up your meal yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly it's and like- that's what i am at american horrors when you go and you look at american horrors there's no tv guide i'm the dj i'm spinning the music just plug in and enjoy the party dude Man. Plug in and is, enjoy the is party. Long that I just thought of the I am the DJ. <laughs> the what? I just thought of that terrible song, I am the DJ. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I don't know the song. Yeah. But you're probably I, better off for that. Laugh. Yeah, you're probably better off for that. Go ahead. Yeah. It, I was going to say that um, it reminds me of, of, of something that we've talked about many, 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 many times on this show. And that is Creature Features. Right. From when sure. we were. From, when we were kids, um, for me it was Spenguli. Do do run 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 yeah, do run run. Dude, Spenguli on a Sunday, Sunday and my heart dude, still feel. Screaming Yellow Theater. Yeah, fucking a man. Well, that's it, what I. That's the dream of American horrors, and in a way, I'm. I've kind of become that host. I'm the face of the network. I do all the promos. And it's me and my wife, my wife, Wakako, and I, we do this together. Like, when we edit the projects, uh, we, we have original programming. When you tune into American Horrors, we have a true crime show called True Crimes with Burl Barr and the late, great Don Waldman. We have the original American Horrors TV show. We've got a really, really good paranormal investigation show from a group of guys out in Rockford that are doing it on their own and getting really cool results without faking it like these other big corporate shows since sure. I work in the business and I know the sound people on the reality shows, 
I know when shit's being faked because everybody talks behind the scenes, people. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's a yeah. show. It's all a show. <laughs> and so on American Horrors, I'm scheduling one channel myself personally. Like when we get done with this interview, I'm going to sit down and, and do the schedule for the next couple of days, figure out what I'm going to play on movies from Planet X tonight. Uh, as we record this, it's a Saturday. Or I mean, it's a Sunday. So for me, on Sunday nights around 9 p.m. Uh, Central Time, we have Movies from Planet X, which is a double feature. We teamed up with the Grindhouse channel from the Roku, and the Grindhouse channel is uh, a video-on-demand site. They have the deal for the American Horrors video-on-demand. So now, if you want to watch Garbage Man, go to AmericanHorrors.com. You can. It's on demand now. Right on. All of our exclusive content is now available at AmericanHorrors.com or the Grindhouse channel on Roku. Are awesome. you still are you still doing the blog? Uh I'm I quit doing the blog because uh, some of the people that were my friends turned into stalkers. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. And a person I had a 15-year association with who fucked me on a movie, a feature film, the Flowers in the Razor Wire feature film is done, mixed, surround sound, everything but it's sitting on a shelf because this guy lost his fucking mind, recut the movie behind everybody's back, uh, didn't give everybody credit. Uh, yeah, that he didn't want to give everybody credit for the work they did on the film, so he cut out at least 20 people from their proper credit because he wanted to take credit for it and started selling the movie behind my back with a different title. Wow. I won't oh, name this crazy. person, but he's a stalker who has been making crazy videos about me on YouTube and I'll tell you, I have not watched them. I had my lawyer watch them. Mm. And we have re repeatedly had to use my lawyer to because I have several lawyers, guys. If you work in entertainment, you better have hammers for lawyers, uh, real serious dudes. And I do. I have very serious lawyers. My, my main lawyer was a sergeant in the Marine Corps and worked for military intelligence. So if anybody wants to fuck with my lawyer, come and get it. Yeah. yeah. Come and get it. He's an ex-Marine sergeant, baby. <laughs> Hard I'm ready to go. So this is completely this uh, completely different than what we've been talking about. The first time I became aware of you was I dun, think, dun, dun. Da, da, da. I think Sorry, you had dude. cut. I think you had cut or shot and cut um, a Dog Brothers. Yeah, uh, those guys were fun to work promo. with. I actually had worked and edited and finished an entire jackass-style Dog Brothers video, and you hate to throw your client under the bus, but Mark was very indecisive, and he had a tendency to listen to the one guy complaining. Mm, sure. So we, we have finished, edited to, like, punk rock music, awesome, hour-long thing that we put together and he never released. Mm. And you only got to see the clips on YouTube because I kept like I kept like three clips for my editor's reel because I was really proud of the work I did on it. Right. And so I posted saying, hey, I did this great editing. I really liked this project. It was so much fun to do. And I used to go to the Dog Brothers stuff. I'm way into my martial arts. And I used to go to their, their events in Redondo Beach. Right. And then later at the War Gym. So I had been around and seen it. I've, I've, fucked, I've messed around a little bit with the sticks, but I haven't really trained them hardcore. I've just messed around with them at home. Sure. It's a great way to build up your arms and work on your hand speed. Uh, you know, 
I I see I get the the fight club aspect of what the dog brothers are doing. Sure. They're um, testing themselves. Yeah, I and I also get that like they you know, I can test myself by putting my head in a croc croc's head or an alligator. Well, and, 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 and I just as like... a martial artist, I it's exactly what you're supposed to do if you want to take it to the next cuz I've studied at various levels of seriousness and I actually trained at like a dojo where like people came in and challenged the the oh. instructor. Sure, but my, I guess that, my... I thought that was bullshit movie stuff till it happened. I no, it, other than but, I, but other than the unique sometimes combination of things, like I, I saw a guy with sticks versus a guy with a bullwhip. Sure, and that's sure. very yeah, interesting. I in edited old, that clip. In, in an old school UFC way, but I don't see in the stick in fighting like stuff anything I don't see in what what I see on a on a weekly basis of stick fighting. It's, it's just that they're willing to sacrifice things like kneecaps and. And well, so, it, it, like and I was there the day the guy's kneecap got split. So, that. so here's there. the thing about that, right? Is like, I don't get me wrong. I love what I love what they do. I do think that um, I do think it's important to remember that you got to go to fucking work on Monday morning, right? Yeah, and. Well, that's your decision to make. You know, I broke exactly. my rip my very first night at Go Course. Yeah, right. I'd so, never grappled in my life. I didn't want to grapple. My brother had been going for a year and a half. He thought, oh, I'll finally get my big brother. And because of my ignorance and his stupidity of his ego not tapping, right. I accidentally broke his rib that night. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's, I guess what I'm saying is I get it. I agree with it to some extent. I think you have to have you have to have that that I don't know that uh, I think it's a young man's game. It, it, it is a young man's <laughs> I game. Do it. I have been itching to get in there and stick fight. Well, you I know have been wanting oh, to do come it. Up. Come well, here's, up, we, we stick fight every week. <laughs> well, here's the thing about it is that if you take it's just like anything else that's that's quote unquote dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Is you. You have to take the right precautions, right? It's like, okay, we're going to stick fight. Okay, cool. Uh, fucking put a helmet on. First yeah, off. Yeah, and they, well, I see the dog brothers using like fencing helmets. Yeah, they wear a founcing helmet and batter's gloves for the oh, most part. And, so and the only problem with that is that uh, fencing helmets really aren't designed to protect your head mm -hmm. from. You no, know, they're from, not. From yeah, yeah. I mean, the helmet It's I more use... about protecting you from an eye gouge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I get that in, in that. Um... Dude, I'm ahead of you here because I'm going. You're talking to a guy who likes to do to take it to that level. So. Well, it, but that's and what I, I don't but care that's what how I mean. old I am, you know? <laughs> let's, uh, I, I know. But let's say, for example, okay, like it, if, if if Goku use... and Sheen the Bells. I'm scared to death of the neck cranks because they're dangerous. Right. And a, we're doing right. these neck cranks and we're doing spinning, flipping neck cranks and rolling neck cranks. And uh, it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, but absolutely. And you got Gene like, come on out here, big brother. Get on the mat. Let's see how you do this. <laughs> right. And you, you do it. I know that this most most of our listeners are, are film fans, but do yourself a favor and go look up Gene LaBelle. Gene <laughs> is the man. He's all awesome. It's online. Don't have a fucking clue how it, much of man. the man he is. They go, oh, he says this stuff. It's all true. I've been it, blessed enough to train uh, at GoCores since I believe I started in 1996. 
and Gene teaches every Monday night. Yeah. So Gene. I'm blessed enough that I got the nickname. I'm Big Brother. My real little brother is Medium Brother, and my grappling partner was was Little Brother. That's the awesome. thing about Gene is that he's been around one forever. And he's done so much that the public doesn't know a damn thing about. Exactly. Yeah. Whenever Gene LaBelle leaves, whenever we, we no longer have Gene LaBelle, we're going to be missing a huge part of not only martial well, arts history, but also Hollywood history as well. Yeah, I think he's like yeah. Dan. I think he's like Dan Asano in a way that he's he's a he harkens back to this old world, old school kind of martial arts stuff. Yeah. Both cinematically and the sort of dawn of it in America. Yeah, because he's 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 there for both yeah. aspects of it. I, I envy you that training with both of Absolutely. those guys. I'm not a big grappler guy. I hate going. I learned there. it because I had to. I yeah. you know I I started in Taekwondo in 1987. Everybody started in Taekwondo <laughs> in 1987. <laughs> well, I I was lucky. I was at the U of I, and I was blessed in that the person teaching there was a professor in political science from Korea, South Korea. And he was from the Korean Army demonstration team. Dude, what was his name? So his name was Sung Chol, and uh, Sung Lee Taekwondo was uh, was uh, our our Taekwondo club. And you didn't pay; you paid for your your belt, you paid for your boards that you broke, you right. paid for your uniform. And the idea was that you were going to teach when you got your black belt, and you weren't worth teaching until you got your black belt. Reason, That's when you begin to learn. The reason why I ask is because we had. Master Cho would come down from Champagne, and mm. uh, for you know promotions and and that kind of thing, and uh, and I'm wondering if it's the same guy. <laughs> the this was in the same. early '90s, or I mean the or late '80s, and he was only there. I only got to train with him for my first two, three years, and then he went to a different school to teach, and then I learned I got my black belt from uh, his su- successor. And uh, I was really lucky. I got to train with these Wushu Forms champions, uh, the Ho Brothers, and this wonderful uh, woman. I can't remember her name, and they were World Form champions. And they did the stunts in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies in the early 90s. And then we had a couple guys from the Korean Taekwondo, or, or from the American Taekwondo team at the school. So I was blessed in that I, I've been able to train with real top level talent my entire uh, life of training in martial arts. And I've been busted up plenty. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did it piss you off when Taekwondo became the bitch of um, martial arts? I was furious because I knew it worked because right. I had had to use it in the street to defend myself a few times. And and I do mean defend myself. I was attacked and I was able to defend myself very easily. I already knew how to fight growing up and then training in it and training with the people I, I got to work with uh, was fantastic, was, was really good, and it, it helped me build up my eye-hand coordination because I was a klutz as a kid. And it, it's, just been, it's just been amazing. Like you say, to train with Gene, it's not just Gene. Gokor mm-hmm. is a library and an amazing human being, good friend of mine, and just so blessed. And then to have all the different people that come in. So one night I got Rowdy Rowdy Piper as a grappling partner. Another night the dude who is Christian Bale's stunt double in all the Batman movies and created Jim a gun kata with him from that sci-fi movie. <laughs> Equilibrium, yeah. I get to yeah. train with him and I get to hang out with him. 
And so another night I'm there, and uh, Gokor is telling me, Art, my friend, I'm doing privates with this guy. I, I don't know his rap name. And he does this music, and I don't know why it popped in my head. I went, Tricky? Tricky from Massive Attack? Yes, that is the guy. <laughs> so the next thing I know, I'm on the mat hanging out with Tricky for a couple classes. That's fucking cool. You never knew who'd be on the mat. And so uh, I discovered Ronda Rousey because she nearly ran me over running around the gym, warming up at Gokors one time. I didn't know right. who she was. I didn't know who she was till her mom showed up. And I met her mom, Anne Maria DeMars, was a guest uh, instructor, and we hit it off. I, I think her mom is an awesome person and super smart and mean as fuck, which I love. Uh, and so I, I got to train with her and learn from her. So I, I got to learn from so many people. And you guys will get this as old school fans. I got to get kicked in the face by Bill Superfoot Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> Kick yeah. right in the face, baby. A good, solid one. And I trained in his style. My Taekwondo <laughs> club, we were all about Bill Superfoot Wallace, Fuckin only we a. did it with, with both sides. So we were all about sidekick, hook kick, roundhouse without putting your foot down. That's uh, it, man. Both legs. <laughs> we were it. way into that. Oh Kicking across God. the gym, you all are... that shit. We did it hardcore. You are so dipping into my nostalgia. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this is after Bill Superfoot Wallace had had knee surgery. Fuckin he was still a. too fast. I knew what he was going to do. Yeah. I yeah. had my hands up. And the next thing I know, I'm like, Pluck. and that's still that Bobby. foot is on your head. That's, that's, that's going to that be guy. my epitaph. I still had my hands up. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> just got me so good. Oh, Bill man. Wallace is great, man. Gene hired me to write a book for him. I was going to write a book all about Gene and get back to everybody. And he gave me his blessing to like really get everything, all the stuff. And then he got cold feet because a, another writer screwed him over on a different job, so he pulled it. But he gave me a kill feet, so it was great. Very classy. Yeah, he, he was on um, Rogan talking about, like, the Seagal story and, and a bunch of other stuff. And That's such a funny story. And I heard it from so his funny. wife, Midge. Dude, yeah, go, so, go on YouTube so cool. and look up um, Gene LaBelle Seagal, and you'll, it's an amazing <laughs> story. Made him piss and shit himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and Seagal's known for being a bully on set. Like, it, it, he's an asshole a, on set. Mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Rob Schneider has a great, another great Seagal story. Sir. Well, Randy Williams uh, got hired. Uh, Randy Williams is a Wing Chun instructor. Okay. That, that, that is in and among, the, you know, the circle of JKD and Kali and all these guys. Sure. And he got hired to be... Um, Steven Seagal's bodyguard mm -hmm. when Steven Seagal was in Chicago and had the restaurant and all that BS. Right. And um, Randy has some great stories to tell mm -hmm. um, about Steven Seagal and, and what he's like and, and what. That sounds like a good bar night. It, it, yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. And that's kind of what it, that's kind of what they all turned out to be. Um, and, uh, I just don't get why I, I don't get why somebody who obviously has trained hard mm -hmm. to get to where they are. Well, his early stuff is fine. Lays that stuff down, and then it like, becomes. This whole at what thing. point do you say, "Okay, I'm there"? Yeah. You never say that, right? I you're guess. Oh, you're always a student. <laughs> you're always training. You don't understand. He, you're talking about a guy who's six foot four, went to Japan. 
married the dojo instructor's daughter and wondered why he was able to throw all these little tiny guys around. Right. right. Well, exactly. Gee whiz, no wonder your Aikido works so well with your long ape arms. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. One of the things that makes Gokor so dangerous is he's a, a short Armenian, but when I hold up, I'm six foot two, I hold up my hand, Gokor's hand is bigger than my hand. Wow. His arms are like long arms, so when you're gra- when I grapple with Gokor, it's like being a little boy fighting with my dad. Are you nah. saying it's kind of like He's kind of like Monk from the old Doc Savage. Uh, He's a freak of nature <laughs> and an big, amazing athlete. That's what I could hands. say. That's just so scary. Huge <laughs> hands. And he gets a hold of you. And like, you know, when you're, you know how martial arts guys screw around differently than regular dudes. So yeah. if I'm there mocking him or making fun of him, he starts slowly coming up. Start yeah, yeah, slowly yeah. getting ready to do a judo throw. I'm like, get away from me, Gokor. Get away from me. Get your hands off me. Stay away. Yeah. And God forbid there's some alcohol in there, you know? No. <laughs> no. He doesn't do any drinking. In fact, I got wasted at his 40th birthday party. Oh, wow. All right, I'll give you this story. Okay. You guys are Gene LaBelle fans. I can tell this one. Okay, <laughs> this is early in my training at, at the camp, and I really, really respect Gene and have a great amount of respect for Gokor, and they, they really help me. Like, help me as, as older men to figure myself out as a person, not just martial arts. They were true senseis and friends. And so I'm going to his 40th birthday party, and I'm kind of known for being a wild, crazy drinker. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you guys ever heard any stories about me? I'm, I get pretty uh, loaded, and I'm, I'm pretty fearless. Mm-hmm. So I go there, and it's his 40th birthday party. I've never been to a big Armenian party. It's a big party, and, and so all the guys, all the main guys from the dojo are there, the instructors, all of Gene's friends are there, Gene's there. And so I make this, this thing to myself, and I'm there with uh, my, my wife, who's then my girlfriend at that point. We, we'd just been going out maybe a year. And I'm like, all right, Hart, you're going to be a nice guy. You're going to watch how much you drink because you know you can get out of control when you drink. You're an obnoxious prick. Uh, I'm not mean, but I'm obnoxious. Sure. I'm right so, there with you. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm like, all right, uh, Hart, be cool. So we get there. I'm the first one there. I get there before Gokor does. That's how excited I am to be there. And we get in. We sit down. And at every single table is a bottle of vodka a bottle of uh, red wine, and a bottle of tequila. Sure. So at my table is a sniper who just got back from the conflict over there in Serbia. Uh-huh. A guy who's been out, you know, shooting people. So that's who I'm there with. So every time he decides that we're going to have a drink, I can't tell him no. Sure. I can't say no to this guy who survived all that. So I'm there. And I'm not used to drinking straight vodka. I, I like a vodka mixer or a Jack and Coke, or I don't normally drink. I do shots, but so there I'm cranking back this shit. And the next thing I know, I'm wasted off my <laughs> ass because it's Armenia. They're all getting wasted. Everybody's getting drunk. And the next thing I know, I'm. <laughs> you got to love this. I, I'm out on the dance floor with Gene's wife. I'm dancing like crazy with Midge. I'm over in the... I'm rubbing Gene's belly. Gene, what are you doing? You're so pregnant. What are you doing, Gene? And everybody's laughing and roaring. They had to carry me out. Wow. 
they had to carry me out of that that place and then I was falling down drunk trying to get in the house and falling in the bushes and Walker's like, Hart, you have to get in the house. There's no Please. way she's carrying you. I can't. Yeah, she's a little Japanese uh, lady and I'm a big dude. And she's just like, I can't carry you. You have to get in the house. You have to. Please. And so the next day. I call up my little brother who was there, and my brother loves to bust my balls. He he lives to bust my balls. I call him up. Adam, what happened? What I do? How bad was it? Because I don't remember. And he goes, oh, man. Well, 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 you know, for you, you weren't that bad, Hart. <laughs> and that's the thing I remember the most. And then he told me what I did with Gene and Midge and rubbing the belly. And, and some of the other fighters are like Carl Parisi. And I'm saying inappropriate shit around their parents. And they're Armenians, so they're super like, you know, hey, man. <laughs> Dude, watch it. Yeah. That's but they were all cool. I, I got to, to, to see Manny Gamburin and Carl uh, Parisi and train since they were little kids. And uh, they called him uh, Mighty Midget Number One and Mighty Midget Number Two, and whoever won their tournaments that weekend, they would go up there down in rank. Wow, Mighty Midget Number One, get out here! Nah. <laughs> it's just so funny that you get you, these names that pop up and euphemisms. And... It's G like what's his nickname to everybody? Tom, I'm the same way. Thank God I didn't give you a nickname in the '90s, or else I would never name remembered your name. <laughs> Pacific Ocean, get out here! Yeah, you know, yeah. Or whatever, he's yeah. got a name for everybody. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I wanted before we get going too too much. Uh, I think we're we're running out of time here. Yeah. But I want to talk to you about the GoFundMe thing. Mm -hmm. Um, tell. It seems a weird transition. I know. It, it, I know, right? It is, yeah. but but it's important. Um, tell me about about it and how do people go there and uh, and all the particulars. Well, essentially, uh, I just my wife's a cancer survivor. I, I've been married to my I've been with my wife for 15 years, and she's really supported me through some crazy times. She's and awesome. back in, yeah, I, I really like her uh, as a person. You know, just she's cool, and I'm very blessed to have her in my life. And so she had a whole cancer thing in 2006 that she barely survived. It was a very aggressive, nasty cancer. And so 10 years later, I, I literally moved us out of Los Angeles for, for health reasons, for mm -hmm. her health and for mine. Uh, people say, oh, it's a toxic atmosphere. Uh, you don't know the half of it because of the air pollution, the car pollution, the noise pollution, the crime, the homeless problem, the fact that there's no freaking water, the fact that half the produce there or almost all the produce in California is grown with 20% Chevron wastewater. I do not recommend anyone buy produce raised in California because it's the dirty secret they don't tell the public. Oh, that organic shit that you got? Well, guess what? It was most likely grown with 20% Chevron fracking wastewater because they don't restrain the fracking industry in California. They restrain the people. They don't stop Nestle from bottling their water illegally in the middle of a drought. They cut off the water to the people. Mm -hmm. But getting back to this, I got her out of L.A. so that we could live in the Midwest. My mom is getting up in years. We come back here. We're trying to get healthy. I had injured my back on the move. So I was seeing all these doctors. I was seeing a chiropractor three times a week. And then uh, I, I had a plugged salivary gland I didn't know about, but it was causing me real agony. But Waka was having a problem with breathing and her heart racing. So we, we get her to a doctor first, and then we find out, holy cow, from the radiation of her previous cancer treatments, uh, it had burned her hip bones, damaged her hips. So she, her body is not making blood properly. 
So she has severe anemia, uh-huh. and we had to rush her into the hospital for an emergency blood transfusion. Your average hemoglobin count for a healthy woman is between 12 and 15. Waka's hemoglobin count was 5.4. Whoa. And if you drop to 4.4, you're in danger of a complete coronary collapse. Mm-hmm. So they got her blood up to 9.1 or 9.5, her hemoglobin count, and then we found she had a biomass in her colon. Mm. So these emergency room bills kind of broke me. I spent a lot. We, we had just finished off a legal battle with a slumlord who had lead poisoned us, exposed us to asbestos, mold poisoning. If you look at photographs of me from two years ago, I look gaunt because I was so sick from the mold poisoning that I, didn't, that, that I was in this legal battle over. Mm-hmm. So here we are now. She had this emergency blood transfusion. One week after her blood transfusion, I had to go to the emergency room for this plugged salivary gland that, that caused me more pain than I've ever experienced in my entire life. When I went to the emergency room, I was shaking all over with pain. Mm. I was moaning and shaking in pain as it went through waves through my head and my jaw mm-hmm. and my ear. Uh, oh, it was awful. The worst. So we have like, Twenty-one, twenty-two thousand dollars in in medical debt now, and we just launched our, our other horror channel, the American Horror Channel on Roku, uh, which is doing really well. We have seventy-two thousand uh, people have installed our channel on their Roku. That's that's very a cool. lot for one year. Yeah, that's very cool. So, I've never asked for help publicly before. You you've studied my career. You've never seen me do a Kickstarter. You've never seen me do this. I mean, but I've, I felt I've seen you do blood drives, but that's an yeah. entirely different animal. I've given blood a lot. I've donated airtime on American Horrors to the Special Olympics because I, I had a, a friend that was involved with them, so I, I wanted to give back. Sure. Uh, I inv- I helped donate to uh, Anne Maria Demar's Seven Generation Games Kickstarter program. We did a commercial for them. I've helped some people save their house. Some signal moms. We helped them save their houses from. Uh, some predatory banks. So now, now I need help. Mm-hmm. Now I started a GoFundMe. It's on GoFundMe.com backslash heart, that's H-A-R-T, dash WACAS, which is W-A-K-A-S, dash E-R, dash medical, dash fund. And we started it a little over a month ago, and we've had 89 people contribute so far, over 1,100 shares, and we have raised uh, – Five per, or twenty percent of our twenty-five thousand dollar goal, mm. and the reason it's a twenty-five thousand dollar goal is because they have fees involved. Yeah. So in order to raise the twenty-one, we have to ask for twenty-five. Yeah, you got to put a buffer on that. You know what I mean? To pay everybody, sure, sure. Yeah. So I am right now Waka's sole caregiver. She got wiped out. She's lost a ton of weight. She was in a lot of abdominal pain from mm. this biomass. It's been scary. Uh, I really love this person, and we love where we're at in the Midwest. I'm I'm back in the Midwest. I'm a couple hours from my mom's house, so I've been helping her out, you know, and going to take care of her when I can. Mm -hmm. And uh, since September, I have just been wrecked with this. I'm taking – she was bedridden for a month. Mm -hmm. She had a little bell, (laughs) and she'd ring it. I was like, you know, Jeeves, ding, ding, oh, I'm coming. It's my worst nightmare. It is awful, dude, it, and she's getting a little bit better a day, like a little less pain, and, and she's healing slowly but surely, but she's dealing with the severe anemia and trying to get her body to get rid of this biomass in her colon. Yeah, I see her posting on Facebook more. Yeah, she couldn't for a while. Uh, it tires her out to sit in front of the computer, oh, and we are, 
we're very aware of all the spying going on. And when you have had your work plagiarized like I have or you've yeah. had your work bit like it's been bit, uh, you become a lot more paranoid about who's getting your ideas and who's has access to you. So these smartphones, like if you go set up Facebook's Messenger, they they get access to your camera and microphone. Why does Facebook, in order to give me my messages, need access to my microphone or camera? Mm-hmm. Why my camera? Right. It's, it's scary. It's really, really scary. So for her to get on the computer and talk, it, it, it's it's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, she... Dude, I'm, I, I don't have a dishwasher here. I'm doing all the dishes, doing all the cooking. I've got to walk the dog four or five times a day. I'm running American Horrors. Thank God my health is good, dude, because I went to the doctors and I was worried. But guess what? My liver is in great shape. <laughs> no matter how much you abused it. Yeah, I, hear well, I drink water. I you know, I've you. Always, always been physical, and I've always eaten pretty good food. And even though I drank, I drank water too. Mm-hmm. Right. Water that's shots. a key. Yeah. That's, that's where you, see, you, know, you see an old hand drinking was when they start doing water shots it's like there's a guy who knows yeah. what he's there's doing a guy who young knows. people yeah pay attention that's to my shit. trick man when i'm out on the road and if i have drive i drink a glass of water in between every drink sure it slows me down keeps you you know keeps everything moving keeps you from getting too wasted yeah 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 um it drives you know, dude, away that fucking hangover in the morning yeah yeah else. that's <laughs> most of the hangover is dehydration yeah, anyway yeah. so and Waka doesn't drink. Waka doesn't do anything. She she is really healthy, so it kind of sucks. She's she's my other half on American Horrors. We created American Horrors together. She's in charge of the original American Horrors channel. I handle the Roku channel. She handles the other one. She doesn't ask me what goes on. It's a woman in charge. So I would throw down the gauntlet to all these uh, horror news media outlets that go, Women in Horror Month. Well, for five years, we've had a woman in charge of the American Horrors Channel. Where's your article on her? God damn it. <laughs> Before we go, Hart, exactly where can people go to check out American Horrors online? If you guys are online, you can watch the original American Horrors Channel at AmericanHorrors.com. And you could also do the video on demand there. And if you find me on Facebook, you know, I'm on there as Hart Fisher. Find me on Facebook. If you want to buy some of my books, we've got them in the online store. We are selling a great deal of my collectibles. I'm hand-packing them. So if you order books from me, I'm signing them. And anybody who orders books in the next two weeks is going to get one of the invitations to my wedding that nobody's ever gotten before. Oh, wow. Those Your cards. wedding was great. I had a lot of fun. I just, the pictures of it, they, it was, it was like a costume appearing. He was dressed as uh, the Dinarfield character from the cell. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, Marilyn Manson's makeup very, very effects cool. guy uh, did, uh, did my makeup effects at my wedding. It was a costume wedding. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty so, amazing. Very so, but cool. getting back to the, the, the promotion. Yes, sorry. Yeah. Uh, if you want to watch the American Horrors channel, go to AmericanHorrors.com. You can also go to FilmOn.com. And you could also go to the grindhousechannel.com to watch the original or the new Roku channel. So if you don't have a Roku, uh, and that's where we're premiering all the new movies. The two channels are separate. They play some of the same content, but there's a lot of different content on the two networks. Um, are you getting like, are you for a distribution of the, the, the for the right to show some of these things? Are you getting them in blocks like they used to do with the old Universal and AIP movies? They used to offer them to radio or television stations. Right, that's how that's how Creature Features was done. Yeah, you yeah, get this yeah. block of movies. Yeah, I, I license out programming. You know, awesome. Uh, that's awesome. I think that's a big part of why a lot of the other 
channels that they, they call themselves a channel, but they're not real. I have real advertising contracts. We are actively searching for an ad buying guy to sell our airtime because we have a big audience. There's 1,000 to 1,500 IPs a day tuning into the Roku channel. Mm. And when I was talking to advertising people, they're like, holy cow, that is a really good audience. And people on average are staying on the network for like 30 minutes at a time. So if you have a new movie that you're going to release, we're the perfect network for you to be advertising on because sure. we have that audience and we're affordable and there's commercials during the film. There's no commercials during the short film. So when you're watching Tony Natoli's stop motion animation film, Beware of Dog, you're going to see it all the way through. Mm, if you awesome. get the Slayer music video, Dance Glenn has given me access to about six of his uncut music videos and alternate cut videos to air on the network. You know, and the interesting thing is, is like even we we speak rather hallowedly of like Bob Wilkins, but right. um, Wilkins was was a marginal genre fan. So to see something like American Horrors, where horrors where the pers- the people in charge are dyed in the wool horror fans, that's when you start getting like really deep cuts. And Absolutely, it's a way to increase your and I, I I pay attention. I have my network on all day. There's two monitors on all day with the two different channels on them, so I can keep an eye on the quality control and I get to have my viewer experience. Like I'll sit down at night when I end my night, I, I sit down and I'm watching American Horrors. I am checking it out. I am watching it all the time, nonstop. I'm here to win, and I'm here to win with quality. Instead of just ripping people off with the same child's play movie or Halloween, you'll never see those movies on these channels because you can see them anywhere. I'm about the next bloody thing that's going to get you. That's what's on American Horror. Is the thing you you never see the people who own the dark on, on Chiller. Right. Right. right, 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 right. You're never going to see Night Killer on there either from Claudio Fergasso. Or we're airing uh, all kinds of these films because I do. I license them. I'm actually going on a content acquisition uh, hunt for right now. I'm, I'm looking for content. I sign content with independent filmmakers. Now that we've got our video on demand all worked out, I'm going to start working on our distribution end. We're going to be working on releasing DVDs this year. Awesome. I'm not going to cool. release Blu-rays. And the reason I won't release a Blu-ray is because a Blu-ray is kind of a lie to the audience at home. I, as an independent, have to give a cut to Sony in order to release a Blu-ray. Sony is my competition. So every single time I put out a Blu-ray, I have to pay them a good chunk of money per unit, per Blu-ray replicated, not sold, replicated. And so screw that. That's, that's not democratic. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's crap. And that means that Sony, if you become too big... They could hold the Blu-ray licensing from you. Well, fuck them. I'm DVD, baby. DVD is the people's format. Anybody can release a DVD, so we're going to focus on that. Right. right Very right. cool. And huh. somebody has a Blu-ray player, guess what? It plays fucking It plays DVDs. DVDs. Look at Absolutely. that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's smart. That's cool. Smart. You're not a Casey Kasem yeah. who didn't give a shit about the music. Right. But- but uh, presented that sh- weekly show anyways. Yeah. This is my dream come true, guys. I-, I love what I do. I am having the time of my life, except for my wife's health issues. I love my life. I- yeah. I'm so happy I moved. The people in the Midwest have welcomed me back with a hero's welcome. We shot our first commercial for the video on demand at a local hot dog place, and they, they wouldn't let me pay them for the food we Dude, were eating. I just saw that, and that was awesome. Oh, you liked it? That was hilarious. Yeah, that was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. God, I got Are huge. You that, I put on wait. a lot of weight last year. 
I've been slowly carving off my bear fat. Yeah, that's. I'm not quite that big. Are you back? Are you back in Illinois? No. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. I. I will say this on the air. I'm living around the Lake Geneva area. Fucking awesome. a, man. That's awesome. Fucking a. I'm back. Well, you know, dude. We. I. We could talk for hours. And, yeah, and, absolutely. And absolutely, we'll have to have you back again. And um, I want to come back. This is fun. I. This is. This is, actually, so much more kickback. Like my talk show, Heart Attack, is where I put my politics. Right. Sure. So I keep my politics separate from American Horror. So that yeah. way I'm not inflicting the viewer. So the idea is that if you've had a bad day or you don't, you're tired of hearing about Trump or what Obama did or what Hillary did or whatever the fuck, you can just turn on American Horror and forget it, man. Fucking forget it and just relax and tune out and have a good time because I love it, man. I love these movies. I don't think every movie we play is the best. My thing is I have 48 hours a day to fill. Okay. Right, because you have two so, channels. Right. I have two channels. I can so, do math. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we're like, screw it. Let's let's take a chance on this. Let's yeah. try out this movie. Let's give this short film a try. Let's give this music video a try. Sure. You know? All right, right on. Well, hey, listen, we're, we're, we're out of here. Um, thank you, dude. Thank you for coming on. And um, and we'll have you on again real real soon. Absolutely. Yeah, guys. And, and if, if folks, if you can't contribute to the GoFundMe.com backslash heart-walkers-er-medical-fund, if you cannot contribute to it, just share. Yeah. Just share our campaign, or even if you say something nice, because yeah. these comments really brighten up my wife's day. She's been okay. having a rough just time. Just the more eyes that can see it. Absolutely. Yeah. More, it's a numbers right. game, just like anything else. All right, and guys. I appreciate all of the contributions, because it's really... Dude, I broke up on the air earlier talking about it uh, when I was interviewed last, last week on Nightwatch. I, I cried on the air talking about some of the fans saying, hey, even your heroes need help, too, sometimes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, all right, dude. Let's get this done. All right, all right. So we're gonna see you next week for the Bonus Zero Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell, and I'm Langley West. Stay scary.